Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, AFC Team Previews Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardison, joining me on this lovely Wednesday afternoon. Host of the Unexpected Points Podcast, PFF Data Analyst, all around good, fun guy, Kevin Cole. How's it going, Kevin? Good, good. Wait, wait. So, wait, are we doing AFC? I thought, I thought we, I thought this week we were going to do 10, 15 minutes AFC, 10, 15 minutes NFC, and then expand, you know, one and a half to maybe in three hours of Skylar Thompson talk, I think would be more appropriate this week. You know what? We usually start with the AFC East and the top team, which is the Bills. But screw that, Kevin. It's a special occasion. Let's start off with the Dolphins and oh, actual yes. Skylar Thompson QB1 season. Uh, Dolphins have already confirmed that Tua Tagovailoa is going to miss another week recovering from that concussion. And Teddy Bridgewater remains in that protocol. So, yeah, Kevin, would have been a lot cooler to see uh, Skylar, you know, earn his way uh, up the depth chart, you know, the old-fashioned way. Never want to see these guys get hurt. With that said, it is now Skylar Thompson QB1 season, and the Dolphins are planning for him to start week six here against the Vikings. Vikings currently favored by three points. We'll see if that increases now with the news going on. Game total at 46. So I'll say this, Kevin. We're both extremely biased for Scott Skylar Thompson for some reason. I don't know. I just enjoyed watching him in the preseason. I mean, yeah, he had mostly big time a bit, throws. but I yeah. actually like that. That's a, yeah. it's, it's becoming more of a bit, but just the way he played in the preseason was a fun time to watch. You see a ton of bad football in the preseason. So when you had Skylar Thompson, at least, you know, throwing some good in with the bad, it was fun to see. And I'll say this, man, there were some good moments last week. And similar to Bailey Zappi coming in against the Packers, like it's tough to hold any rookie QB, you know, too hostily against what they did. Not even in a start when they had to come in, you know, in Skyler's case, the second play of the game after uh, Teddy got concussed. So he had the rollout bombs. And, you know, I caught myself thinking a couple times, Kevin, was Mike McDaniel opening up the playbook a little bit more because Skylar Thompson can actually throw the ball more than 30 yards downfield, unlike Tua and Teddy? It wasn't the worst first performance in the world, all bit and bias aside. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the numbers weren't great. He had the strip sack fumble, which kind of ended the game, so that wasn't great. Some of the stuff didn't show up, too. I mean, there were multiple defensive pass interferences down the field. One of them was kind of questionable. But you're right. I was just surprised by how much he was throwing the ball, period, because they were down in this game. They got down, I think, uh, 10 nothing early, but it wasn't you know that big that they were down. Raheem Mostert, who was sure we'll talk about it, taken over the backfield, and he was playing well. So, I, yeah, I was a bit surprised of how much that he was passing it. And there's this weird situation here. Like, I don't are – the, are the Dolphins, like, banned from bringing a player back from the concussion protocol or something? Because 
They said Teddy Bridgewater. I think Teddy Bridgewater did get his, his bell rung a little bit on that play, however you want to define it. I don't know if it was a concussion. I did think he took a pretty big hit on that play. But they said that, or at least this was just tweeted out by uh, Marcel Louis-Jacques, who is the uh, reporter for ESPN for the Dolphins. He said that if Bridgewater clears the concussion protocol, he'll be the backup and not the starter, which seems a little bit weird because they were singing Bridgewater's praises last week on how prepared he was and how great he was in practice. Maybe it's because he's not going to be able to prepare in practice. I don't know. Or maybe the NFL is like, you're not allowed to bring back a quarterback the next week, even if he passes the concussion protocol. Well, that was the weird thing. Literally on the broadcast on Sunday, like CBS announced that Teddy Bridgewater passed the concussion test, but he won't return because of the protocol. Like, Aren't the concussion tests, the concussion protocol? I didn't realize these were two uh, separate entities going on right here. So, you know, they did list the elbow with the injury. Uh, I think we all kind of mocked that because, you know, obviously we had the Tua and the so-called back injury going on there. But, hey, for now, it's Skylar Thompson. We'll see if Tyreek Hill is going to be out there. He is dealing with a foot injury. Uh, Pro Football Talk did report that it's not believed to be overly serious obviously though Tyree Kill out of the picture would mean more volume for Jalen Waddle maybe even maybe Mike Jacecki if he can get out there and get a few more inline snaps one of these days final note with the Dolphins is as you brought it up Kevin the Raheem Mostert RB1 season really just taking over this backfield last week 68% of the snaps 18 carries and three targets and the big tell that this really is Mostert's backfield now is the fact that Miles Gaskin for the first time all season worked well ahead of Chase Edmonds so it's definitely not Chase Edmonds' backfield at this point. You cannot start Edmonds. And honestly, like, with bye weeks, man, I think Edmonds is plenty cuttable, and you could have probably argued he was, you know, a week or two ago. How confident are you, though, Kevin, and Raheem Mostert kind of holding on to this job? This is an offense that during the first four weeks of the season, you know, we did see them be quite a bit more pass-happy. So Raheem Mostert, like, is he an upside RB2 the rest of the way? He looks healthy. He looks explosive. I guess I'm just a little concerned that, you know, maybe the answer to the overall feature back in this backfield could ultimately just continue being a committee of sorts. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, there's probably his, you know, injury proneness is probably overplayed. But if you just look at real hard numbers, like he's a small running back. So therefore, those guys have problems. He has had some soft tissue stuff in the past. So he could have problems. So I think holding up will probably be difficult. But man, Chase Edmonds, again, NFL executives. Okay, not only the draft picks on some of these running backs, you gave the dude $12 million. This kind of reminds me a little bit of like a Kenyon Drake type of situation. Like, why are you paying these second, third tier running backs and coming over if you're willing to just shelf them a week or two into the season? Like, just go pick up Raheem Mostert, pick up guys like that. Uh, don't waste money. And there are some, you know, ridiculous uh, fluff pieces getting writ written about this uh, marriage, you know, back in August. You know, why Evans is the ideal RB1. Oh, he's so knowledgeable of the inside zone scheme and this and that. And it's like, you know what? Mike McDaniel has been with Raheem Mostert for three, four years. He brought him over there. He went with his guy. Can never underestimate a coach's ability to get the familiar party more touches. Back on schedule, Kevin. Your first place Buffalo Bills sitting at four and one. How sustainable is what Josh Allen is doing specifically under pressure? Something I noticed in my quarterback right up, you know, this year, NFL high, 9.3 yards per attempt under pressure this season. No other quarterback is higher than 7.2. Josh has literally averaged more yards per attempt under pressure than when kept clean, which when you watch him play quarterback, it's just, it's just so perfect that uh, I love it, Kevin, but you found something similar in terms of the EPA per play. With all that said, how sustainable is this? Because we have seen in the past how pressure, not the most stable metric in the 
world. But you know what? It is Josh Allen out here. Like, would it make sense that of all people, you know, we could expect Josh Allen to maybe keep on keeping on with this a little bit more than the average QB? Yeah, I definitely think that's the case, that he could do it better than the average QB. He invites some of that pressure, too, the way that he plays. So, you know, when he's being pressured, it's not the same as your traditional pocket passer who is really going to be compromised when he's in that situation. Sometimes he's rolling out. Sometimes he's moving up in the pocket and moving around, and that's going to cause it. And he's not, I mean, he's going to regress, right? But we talk about regression. It doesn't mean you go back to being a league average type of quarterback. He's someone who's going to perform better under pressure, who's going to perform better on third downs and other situations where he can extend plays. He's going to be doing things that are seen as being unsustainable. He's going to be that type of guy. Now, last season, he had positive EPA under pressure, he had positive EPA under pressure the year before too, but we're talking about slightly positive, which was really, really good for the NFL, you know, really, really good versus other quarterbacks when he made that jump in his third year. Now he's just playing off the charts, um, whereas his clean EPA has barely changed. So yeah, that's going to come down a bit, but I expect him to continue to be good under pressure relative to your normal quarterbacks. Gunslinger Josh Allen was certainly back last week. I mean, you guys saw the freaking highlights. What an incredible performance. 348 yards, four touchdowns in the first half, and he left meat on the bone. He missed digs for a touchdown, threw an end zone pick to Gabriel Davis, but 14.9-yard average target depth. So I spent all that time last week, you know, oh, maybe this is a new Josh Allen getting the ball out short. Nah, he's, he's just still an absolute monster out there. Love seeing it. Now, the one thing we did get in this offense, we know Josh is going to do his thing. Stephon Diggs is Stephon Diggs. And Gabriel Davis, yeah, he's going to sometimes but he's also going to boom so keep that man in your lineups Devin Singletary though we've had the RB4 finish the RB20 finish and then three other games finishing outside the top 40 performers he just gets in this problem Kevin where if the Bills manage to blow teams out they don't keep giving the ball to Devin Singletary like a lot of primary early down backs they really feature they're happy to feature James Cook and even to a lesser extent Zach Moss or they just keep throwing the ball even when Josh Allen left that game up 38 to 3 they were still you know happy to throw the ball all over the field so this week, though, with Devin Singletary, again, we're looking for a matchup that can hopefully keep the Bills in a more in a more neutral game script. They got that. They're in Kansas City. Game of the week, you know, 430 Eastern. Buffalo is favored by two and a half. I want to say that's the first time that Patrick Mahomes has been an underdog since that 2020 game against the Ravens. Uh, I have not confirmed that, but sounds right to me. Game total at 54. So. Last week, it didn't work out with Devin Singletary. He's still the pretty clear lead back in Buffalo, though, and he gets this matchup against the Chiefs defense that has allowed league-high marks in receptions and receiving yards allowed to opposing running backs. Are you fine riding off last week and going back to Devin Singletary as an upside RB2? Uh, I mean, I don't know about upside RB2. I think with Singletary... You drafted him hoping that you would get this type of performance, probably. It's, it's in the higher range of outcomes, what we've seen from him so far this year. At the same time, you know, if you were lucky enough to also have, you know, Ramondre Stevenson or get Kenneth Walker or get Jeff Wilson or get one of these other guys who have emerged a little bit more, uh, even Raheem Mostert, who we already talked about, I would I would be starting those guys before I'd be before I'd be starting Singletary. So yeah, if you got to put him in there, you can hope for that, you know, upside case. He gets in the end zone, things like that, but you just can't feel comfortable starting him right now. 
This is like the, uh, you know, the zero RB truth that comes out in week six. And it's like, yeah, all you had to do was nail these four precise late round running backs. And then your team would be absolutely loaded. You hey, Jeff Wilson, Jeff Wilson, baby. I got, I got him on a, a we on our PFF team. My, it's glorious. It's glorious. This, zero RB. This back. whole league is bogus. Any league that does waiver wire priority over fast. You just say that because I got Kenneth. Yeah. I can't even, I might not even start Kenneth Walker. That's how, that's how stacked my zero RB team is this week because I got Ramondre Stevenson and Jeff Wilson. So I know no one wants to hear about your fantasy team. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll edit this out of the podcast, but I'm feeling good about that. We actually don't edit anything out of the podcast. So you guys heard it. We'll keep rolling on jets up next in the division, sitting at three and two. Hey, winning jets. How about that? They got the miracle over the Browns. They beat up on Trubisky and Pickett, And last week, you know, Skylar Thompson out there kept things close until, you know, we had a couple backbreaking issues in the fourth quarter. So Kevin, are you buying this Jets success? There are weapons everywhere. The offensive line has been banged up. You know, they've been doing all right. But I will say, Zach Wilson, as you noted, highest grade of his career last week. He is PFF's 11th highest graded passer of the season. Six in yards per attempt with 8.1 yards per attempt this year. I feel like we saw Trevor Lawrence have a similar nice little two-game stretch. And we all said, oh, look, Trevor Lawrence is back. You know, fucker, Meyer, all this, all that. Zach Wilson has had two really good games in a row, man. And I feel like we're not really giving him much uh, benefit of, of, of the doubt there. Overall thoughts on what we've seen from Zach Wilson and this new and improved Jets offense. Yeah, I think Wilson has been good. I don't think he was. I don't think he was. I don't think he was as good like as his grade last week. He was okay. I mean, there were some dudes that were open. When you get seventy nine yards to a wide open Brees Hall on a wheel route, that helps a bit. There wasn't a lot of pressure on him. He only dropped back to pass twenty four times during that game. And maybe from a fantasy football perspective, I think that's what we want to focus on because Flacco is. You know, he's elite Flacco, right? He was elite at just throwing the ball a lot. So that's what he was a lead at more than anything. 47 dropbacks in week one, 56 dropbacks in, in week two. And now we have 40 dropbacks and 24 dropbacks for Zach Wilson. It's just not enough juice for the rest of those receiving options. If we're talking about, you know, Garrett Wilson, you got excited about Elijah Moore, those guys, you're not getting much here. So it's really Brees Hall. You're feeling confident about as far as starting in this offense. Uh, Other than that, it's really tough right now. And the other problem is, man, if it was only Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and Garrett Wilson, it wouldn't be easy, but they also keep Braxton Berrios involved because Braxton Berrios is good at football, to be fair. And of course, Kevin, yeah, I get Jeff Smith, you know, his 10 plus snaps a week uh, as well, because why not? It's Jeff Smith, of course, got to get that guy on the field. This week, the Jets are in Green Bay. Packers sitting at seven point favorites, game total at 46. Hey, last week, I said we were already here. Brees Hall, top 12 RB. We're not leaving, Kevin. He's an RB1 the rest of the way. Michael Carter, you know, found his way to Vulture uh Brees Hall from the one yard line on two separate occasions side note come on NFL coaches in that Brees Hall play at first man I didn't realize this they had a quarter break so he had an entire time to go get some water get back on the field he just got you 79 yards down the one yard line it's first and goal give the man one chance to score a touchdown come on guys but you know 40 points I guess we'll uh I guess we'll say they did a good job in real life but yeah Brees Hall RB1 we can all agree on that at this point but yeah I think you already said it man any of these wide receivers tight ends really interest you moving forward as more than like wide receiver three types I mean even Tyler Conklin unfortunately is now losing a bunch of reps to CJ Uzoma yeah, I mean, I liked Elijah Moore a lot coming into the season, but yeah, the volume's just not there. Maybe we'll see it if they end up getting down. You know, they are, you know, they're they're three and two, right? So that's not something that you expected coming into the season. I, I have a mini rant here on 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 Brees Hall go. that I just want to go here. So if you're if you're listening in your podcast app, you might want to skip forward thirty seconds if you don't want to hear my Brees Hall rant. But I was listening to someone, an analyst um, who I respect because I was listening to them in the first place, I was talking about Brees Hall and saying that. 
they didn't like him coming into the NFL and that he had gotten better as far as his vision or something like that. Okay, let's think about it, people. Like, there's like one of these confirmation bias takes that I just can't. It's like a different type of confirmation bias. It's excellent running back who was excellent in college, who was drafted high, is now playing well in the NFL. What's more likely that he like got better somehow in the first four weeks of his rookie season, or maybe you just like kind of missed your evaluation? So just just think about that when you're listening to people talk about these players and how they've gotten better. It's not like, hey, evaluating is hard. So that's why take players who are fast, strong, and put up a bunch of yards. And then in the NFL, guess what? They're, they can be pretty productive. And guess what? You know, every year from March to August, it's about the vision, his feel, and his you know, <laughs> exactly. ability to get through contact. And then now in week six, it's, oh, hey, look, Brees Hall is playing about 70% of the snaps and seeing 20 opportunities per game. Should probably get him in all your fantasy lineups. Final yeah. team in the AFC East. We got the two and three Patriots. It's similar kind of conversation that we just have with Zach Wilson in terms of Bailey Zapp. The guy's playing really good, man. And will it persist? Will it keep going? Maybe not. Probably not. With that said, Number one, Kevin, not number two, not number three. Number one, the adjusted completion rate this year at 82.9%. He's averaging eight yards per attempt. He's got a top 10 PFF grade, zero big time throws. It has not been flashy. He's gotten, you know, some help from Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker a couple of weeks ago. The Patriots are not asking him to do much other than, you know, exist in that half second, like the, like the, the Mike Wenchel strategy from back in the day. Get the ball, exist in that half second between giving Booby Miles or Ramondre Stevenson the football. And so far, Bailey Zappi is doing that. Still not sure if Mac Jones is going to be back from that high ankle sprain this week. But at a minimum, Kevin, I will say it's Patriots offense. You know, they were able to get the W last week. They were more competitive than we thought they would be in Lambeau the week before. I mean, this was an offense that looked really broken the first couple of weeks of the year. We were firing off all the Matt Patricia jokes. I mean, every single thing coming out of training camp and really the preseason looked like this offense was going to be terrible. And with Bailey Zappi under center, they've started to get back to average, maybe, dare I say, even an above-average group. Do you think once Mac Jones is back in this offense, we can see them start looking more like that legitimate top-10 scoring offense that they were last season? Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get the top-10, but I think we can talk about top-half type of offense. I thought Max Jones played a lot better than what people think that he played. He was dropping some dimes actually in the game against the Ravens. I guess it was, but he yeah. had some interceptions at the end, but he was throwing the ball down the field to, to Parker. And I think Zappy is fine, but similar vein. we talked about Zach Wilson, although even more extreme here, you know, where he's got 40 dropbacks in two games. That's in two games <laughs> total. He's got he's got 40 dropbacks. So we're not going to be getting a lot of goodness and a lot of upside from this offense. What you will be getting, though, as a favorite and with that backfield thinned out is a lot of Ramondre season. It's Ramondre season all over. This is one of those things where I know people are going to complain who didn't draft or were fading. And when they're going to say, oh, you only needed, you know, two running backs to get injured. And Don't then steal my rant. I was about to say, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> then he finally has a chance to play. Well, guess what? That's what happens when you draft a guy in the seventh, eighth, ninth round, 10th round. Sometimes of what's going to happen here. But you're drafting talent. And look at this guy. He's just stiff arming people. He's juking. He's moving. He can do it all. But at the same time. I will say, with all this enthusiasm around him, do we still trust that, you know, I don't know what's going to end up happening, that J.J. Taylor comes in and starts starts getting some carries, that they bring in Pierre Strong all of a sudden, even though he's a rookie, and do something. I don't know if I'm fully trusting. I'm not putting – I'm putting Ramondre in, like, the RB1 conversation, but I'm not putting him, you know, like projections are going to have him as the best running back played this entire week. <laughs> It is worth mentioning last week, it was only Stevenson and Damon Harris. So when Harrison hurt his, hamstr Harris yes. hurt his hamstring, there was nowhere else to go. That's why Stevenson had 89% of the snaps. But 
you start looking at the roster, Kevin, and again, I, I, I mocked the whole Ramondre Stevenson sleeper season in like July, just by all the things that had to go right. Well, here we are, and they all have gone right. Damon yeah. Harris expecting to miss multiple weeks with the hamstring. Ty Montgomery is on IR, and you can mock Ty Montgomery being you know a part of this conversation all you want. He had the pass down role, and he had more snaps than Ramondre Stevenson in week yeah. one. That happened. James White retired. Pierre Strong has played three total snaps on offense, none since week two, and J.J. Taylor. And don't even forget about Kevin Harris uh, moved to the practice squad after the preseason. So it does seem like Stevenson is going to be as much of a feature back in New England as we could expect. You know, is he going to be more of a 90% guy? No, I think it goes down to around 70 or 80%. But either way, and also hats off to the guy. He's playing fantastic. PFF's third highest grade running back this season behind only Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs. I mean, he had a catch and run last week broke a good three tackles on the play one of the more impressive uh, individual performances i saw so great matchup this week cleveland 27th in ppr points per game allowed the running backs 30 at the yards per carry uh, yards before contact allowed per carry excuse me stevenson you cannot show me a lineup where he will be sitting so please don't even ask otherwise though we do have hunter henry getting to play a full-time role literally 98% of snaps last week without Johnny Smith. So if you need a tight end for bye weeks or whatever, Hunter Henry, if he's still out there, fantastic option for you. How are you feeling about Jacoby Myers, Kevin? He was banged up. He comes back, has a hundred yards game. Hell, even scores a touchdown in this economy. Love to see it. And we did see also with the Nelson Aguilar injury and Tyquan Thornton coming back, it's really Jacoby Myers and then everybody else in this passing game. Are you confident enough in Jacoby kind of being this target hog alpha that inexplicably he's been throughout his career keeping on? Uh, I mean, I guess, but again, I'm just concerned about the overall the volume, volume there. And I'm just probably not that interested in the, the receivers outside of, like you mentioned, Hunter Henry, I think is a guy that you can start outside of that. It's tough because any of them can disappear any week. And then when you're getting, you know, he, in week two earlier this year, Jacoby Myers had 13 targets, but then he didn't even get a hundred yards on there. So I, you're starting them if you don't have another option, I would say. But other than that, it's it's just not someone you can get excited about as far as the upside, really. Full PPR changes a little things, but yeah, True. you know, we also have a pretty uh, pretty big sample saying he's not going to score touchdowns. That's awesome as last week's uh, one moment was. Moving right along to the AFC North. In first place, we got the three and two Ravens. So the Ravens were supposed to be partying like it was 2019 again, Kevin. We heard that all offseason, but, you know, J.K. Dobbins misses the first three games. Gus Edwards still not back. Drake Davis not doing their thing. You look up now after five weeks in the Ravens with a 59% pass play rate in non-garbage time situations. Ranks 20th in the league, which again, not exactly the most run heavy or pass heavy offense, but more middling than the expected rate, which was going to be literally the most run heavy offense in the NFL. So Lamar so far, Okay, I saw the misses last week. Could have had a 50-yard touchdown, Devin Duvernay, and then the Thielen Wallace one was even worse. Tylen Wallace, excuse me, a couple minutes later. But on the whole, on the season, straight drops, no screens included. He's averaging 7.3 yards per attempt, just like Justin Herbert. That's ahead of Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. He's adjusting completion percentage, 19th among 39 quarterbacks, ahead of Burrow, ahead of Rodgers. I mean, Lamar Jackson, Kevin, he's doing everything you could hope for as a passer. We know what he brings to the table as a rusher. Do you expect this offense? We've, we've talked in the past about just the overwhelming amount of total offense that Lamar is accounting for. Is this sustainable? And do you think this team can keep being not pass first, but more pass heavy than we're used to seeing and then continue to lead this division? Yeah, I, I think they can be. Um, you're right. There were some big plays that were left. His usage is still fantastic. I mean, he ran the ball 11 times two weeks ago, 12 times last week. He's not getting the super long runs like he was 
uh, those other weeks. But still, you get that type of usage. You're going to get some more rushing touchdowns there, which he hasn't had. And then the passing game, you mentioned that he missed a couple of plays there. Rashad Bateman out. We'll see about him. I don't know. I'm not necessarily encouraged by by his potential return this week, but that's a guy that they want to get back there. So, yeah, I think they can continue to play this way. He's stepped forward passing the ball. The bigger question for me is just, you know, with the rushing and whether you can trust guys there, you know, J.K. Dobbins was playing, was sharing, was sharing the backfield a lot. And it might be one of those situations. Remember, his delay to start the season and missing the first couple of weeks, his knee, his knee might not be exactly where they want it to be to say, we're just going to turn over the entire backfield to this guy. So I don't know if he's necessarily someone you can really trust, um, at least until we see it. We got to see it first. I really thought last week was going to be the week because his usage went up from week three to week four. And then with Justice Hill out of the picture, it just, it made sense to really feed Dobbins. I mean, they just could not have trusted Kenyon Drake and Mike Davis less, deservedly so. They weren't making anything out of their opportunities earlier in the season. And last week, people, I kid you not, Kenyon Drake literally outsnapped J.K. Dobbins in a close game that, you know, they were either up or within one score the entire time. So, yeah, look, and just with this offense, I mean, we've seen it. Greg Roman has not had a history of giving any single running back a workhorse role anyway so when you have your workhorse running back your theoretical workhorse running back already banged up i just don't think he's going to get there could also see gus edwards returning soon off that pup list with the knee injury haven't seen if his practice window is open just yet but once he comes in back in the picture going to be even more complicated so look down the stretch in 2020, the last time we actually had a somewhat healthy backfield here, from week eight to the AFC divisional round, Dobbins played 53% of snaps. Edwards was at 33%. Justice Hill took some as well. Dobbins had 128 rush attempts. Edwards had 105. Dobbins had 16 targets. Edwards had 10. Gus Edwards is not disappearing. I know people love to look at this and say, oh, Dobbins is going to be a 70, 80% guy, you know, sooner rather than later. That's not what the Baltimore Ravens want to do, Kevin. And as much as we think Dobbins is, you know, has better style and all this than Gus Edwards, Gus Edwards averages five yards per carry on, on a yearly basis, man. So I do think Dobbins, more weeks than not down, down the road, you know, he should be able to give us some of that low-end RB2 value. But got people waiting for that true RB1 breakout season, I think it might be another year at least. Um, yeah, any final thoughts? Let's see. They're in New York this week against the Giants. Five-point road favorites, game total 44 and a half. Assuming Bateman is out again, which I agree with you, it doesn't look good. What? Where are we at with Devin Duvernay? Because they're doing a good job just getting him some design plays. I had a uh, nice moment last night, Kevin. You know, adjusting the old ranks, might have had a glass of uh, wine or two, and the Devin Duvernay versus DJ Moore battle for me. I gave it to Devin Duvernay. I had Devin Duvernay ranked ahead of DJ Moore, Brandon Ayuk, Juju Smith-Schuster. What a time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that he's shown a lot. I mean, he's not only just getting the ball because no one else is there again it's skill-based position and i know you could say well they they don't have other options and that's why he's getting a chance but he was making some plays earlier this season too when bateman was still around so yeah i think he's a quality guy you're just not you're not gonna have the total upside with him he's not gonna be a hundred percent snap person he's not gonna be you know a real one b or even real solid second option necessarily next to mark andrews in that passing game but he's someone who you can start um, and I think the only other thing to recognize is just like Mark Andrews, man. Like, what can we say about this guy? Remember the Kyle Pitts versus Mark Andrews? There was a little bit of a controversy going the season. I mean, what a stud. What an absolute stud. And people always talk about Lamar Jackson being drafted after um, Hayden Hurst in that draft. Well, that was a few picks later. Uh, we're talking about Mark Andrews going two rounds later than Hayden Hurst <laughs> in that draft.
That is absolute madness. Credit to Hayden Hurst for getting the revenge game touchdown. Love to see it uh, that out there. And you know what? If you're going to lose your job, the two tight ends might as well be Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts. So no, you know, complete shame over there on Hayden Hurst. But yeah, Mark Andrews keeps on keeping on. Final point on Devin Duvernay. Just something to keep an eye on. He did have three carries last week. It was pretty interesting the way they were just getting the ball into his hands. And you look at his career stat line, man. Now 16 carries, 142 yards, 8.9 yards per carry. I know wide receivers typically have the, you know, more efficient usage because they're getting the reverses and the more design stuff but hey Duvernay's been their kick returner like this is someone where we spent all summer talking about the Debo Samuel role like if there is someone that can hold up get you know three to five carries per game be pretty efficient with it and just make good use of the design touches Devin Duvernay so far so good on the other side of that Sunday night loss to the Ravens was the Cincinnati Bengals two and three on the season this week they're in New Orleans since the one and a half point road favorites game total of 43 and a half so I want to say bring up his name like every podcast he's a he's a damn good writer so why not but Stephen Ruiz I think pointed this out he's had some questions over the years about Joe Burrow and you know baby arm Burrow and you know can't really get that deep ball going and hey in 2020 man it was a very good question 61.5 PFF passing grade only 6.1 yards per attempt on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield now you at chase in 2020 pff passing grade goes from 61 and a half to 95.8 6.1 yards per attempt to 15.8 but now in 2022 kevin we're seeing numbers that are pretty much right in the middle of that so which one is it are we looking at joe burrow as this deep ball passer who oh my gosh look how good he was in 2021 he's gonna get better or is 2022 kind of a natural decline for someone that we kind of saw a good piece of what he was in 2020 maybe we should have eased expectations coming off that 2021 season where again really hard for Burrow to be much better in any facet of the game maybe we could have seen this small regression coming yeah I think this has been more this is flipped flipped around right like I feel like I've been calling for the positive regression to be happening now for every single week that goes by and I don't know man we're getting more and more evidence that's making me a little bit sketchy to think about that because not only did some of the trends that we've seen of not being able to throw the ball down the field, not being able to get big plays, a smaller average depth of target. Like it got worse last week. It was the worst by far last week, 4.2 average depth of target, 4.2 yard average depth of target. And when it comes to Jamar chase, he had a five depth of the target. And I mentioned this in a uh, review that I was doing on Unexpected Points podcast. Check it out on your uh, podcast stream about um, Jamar Chase. His longest catch in this game against uh, the Ravens was 13 yards in the two games that they played last season. Remember, this is on 12 targets, 12 targets. Didn't get anything longer than a 13 yard catch. In the two games they played last season, he had 12 catches that went for longer than 13 yards. <laughs> What's going on here? He, he wasn't going to do that again, but can we get something? Um, we need something. Jamar Chase is looking rough right now for guys who picked him in the middle to back half of the first round of their fantasy drafts. Sure is. With that said, it's Jamar Chase. We still got T. Higgins hopefully coming back from that ankle injury. Obviously, I just feel like I've been saying that for like three weeks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's, I'm starting to get a little worried whether or not this offense is like, quote unquote, broken. I don't want to go that far. I'm a numbers guy. You know, yeah. it, things are going to regress, all that sort of stuff. But I am piling up more and more evidence, which is slowly moving down my expectations for them going forward. 
Hey, we got a Saints matchup coming up here. We just saw Geno Smith and company. Now, that's an elite offense right there, Kevin. So I don't want to, you know, set the bar He's too high He's an elite thrower. Here. I mean, PFF grades, <laughs> you know? I don't want to set the bar too high for Joe Burrow and company. But if they can, you know, just try to be 90% of what Geno Smith in the Seahawks passing game is, you would think they could put up some points. We also are expecting Marshawn Lattimore to be shadowing Jamar Chase all over the field. Last time he did that against Justin Jefferson, you know, did not stop, you know, Jamar Chase's former college teammate for going for 10 catches and a buck 47 through the air. Only other thing I want to talk about uh, real quick, shout out Hayden Hurst again, continuing to get the great usage. If you guys caught Nathan Yonke and I on our waiver wire edition every single Tuesday when we go live at about 1230 PM, if you guys want to go tune in and, you know, got some chat questions for us one of these days, always a great day. It'd be great, but Hayden Hurst, absolutely great, you know, waiver wire edition. I put him right there alongside Hunter Henry for those, you know, trying to find a good streamer for this week we're back to the joe mixon conversation kevin is he is he washed or is he just unlucky because the washed argument has some legs i mean he's got a 61.1 pff rushing grade 3.1 yards per carry we, we just talked shit about chase edmonds only joe mixon and chase edmonds are averaging under two yards after contact per carry one of them is not a career scat back who we think was maybe you know pigeonholed into the wrong role there so this season mixon 0 for 7 on finding the end zone on rush attempts inside the five-yard line. I mean, you know, we can blame the offensive line. They do have PFF's single lowest run blocking grade at just 48.2, but the volume's there. He's got more touches than any running back in the league with 116. 21.8 expected PPR points, 3.7 more than any other running back in the league. He's still been the PPR RB15, Kevin. It's a little bit Jamar Chasey. We're like, he hasn't completely killed you, but you're also not getting the production that you drafted him for. Is this his floor? Or is there enough concern about the Bengals offense that, hey, maybe we are looking at just a really volume-based guy that's going to be, you know, a PPR per game, more of an RB2, even if the totals finish up in the RB1 land. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the... The positive side, if you want to get a positive for Mixon in this game, is this is the first time that he actually scored fantasy points around where his expectation was. Now, the negative side is the expectation was a lot lower, and that's how we got there. But again, on the positive side, if you want to look at something, if we want to go to good old-fashioned metrics here, 5.6 yards per carry. So that's something, right? He hadn't broken three yards per carry. He hasn't been over three yards per carry in any game so far this season. The, the problem is he only got 14 carries. He wasn't getting as many high-value touches there. The offense was just a bit clunky throughout this entire game. So I'm still thinking he's going to turn it around and he's going to be a good player. He may be slightly inefficient all season like all the other options that we've seen in this offense. But the usage is still there, so I'm, I'm good with him. I just crack up here. Like, let's let's go back some old fashioned metrics here, like yours for carry. And then you know, if you hear uh, you know, the anti-analytics crowd sometimes, like they just kind of draw this arbitrary line between like what stats they kind of view as fine stats and then what stats they don't understand, and then those become the big bad mean uh analytics out there. So I just crack up, you know, again when people like announcers in one breath kind of sh- shoot down analytics, and then the next breath they're talking about like passing yards or yards for carry or something, which hey, there's a place for all of those just because you don't understand something though doesn't mean you need to completely well this, this is my beef here with with inspected points added mm-hmm. all these people say oh that's a, that's a team stat that's a team stat i'm like well what's passing yards then what are passing touch isn't that a team <laughs> stat? like there are other players involved in those stats. like what are not team stats i guess you could say our pff grades are not t- team stats but i don't think that's what people are complaining about when they say epa is a team stat but yet they'll go and talk about touchdowns interceptions yards all the things that actually go into uh coming up with epa 
I just hate how we measure analytics or PFF grades against perfection. It's not like, hey, you guys, your PFF grade on this player doesn't match, you know, this other grade that another website has. It's just like, hey, this grade's wrong because I saw 10 minutes of the game on red zone and what the hell does PFF know anyway? Yeah, so we can talk about this for days, obviously. And people are listening to a PFF Fantasy Podcast, so hopefully you guys are okay enough with our process over here. And with that, we'll move right along to our two and three Cleveland Browns. Look, they're sixth in scoring right now. This is the number one offense in EPA per run play. Jacoby Brissett hasn't had the counting numbers. I mean, he's got five passing touchdowns this season. Doesn't even have 240 passing yards in a game. With that said, he's doing a good job generally of limiting the turnovers. I saw the back-breaking pick six, not not pick six, just the end-of-game interception. With that said, he didn't did get the offense you know he had a little bit of help from that failed fourth down but he got the offense back in position uh to actually you know have a chance for the game winning field goal it just didn't work out at the end of the day Jacoby Brissett he has exceeded expectations like just the fact the Browns are again a top six scoring offense with him under center tells you all you need to know they're two and three they got a tough upcoming schedule we talked about that last week but Kevin once Deshaun Watson is back, like is this an immediate top 10 offense in the NFL because if Jacoby can make this a top six scoring offense I mean Best version of Deshaun Watson. This group could be elite in a hurry. Yeah, I think so. But again, we have to adjust somewhat for the schedule. I think things had fallen into place almost perfectly for Jacoby so far this season. They played the Panthers, the Jets, the Steelers without TJ Watt, the Falcons, and the Chargers so far. I thought the Chargers defense was going to be better. (laughs) They were not better. So they have that as their schedule. Nick Chubb has just been, you know, like off the charts as far as his ability to generate positive plays and be successful and generate big plays on offense. And now going forward, Patriots, Ravens, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills, Bucks. That's the rest of Jacoby Myers' schedule before a a very interesting Texans matchup, which Deshaun Watson will be back for that one most likely. So things could get rough here. This is when we can start seeing Jacoby exposed because if you think about it, he's had three game ending back-breaking interceptions at the end of games and this is when they needed to score so if he has that type of pressure on him throughout the game I am worried (laughs) I'm a little bit worried and if Nick Chubb can't break off you know six yards a carry seven yards a carry like he normally does I'm a little bit worried so we'll see we'll see about this offense going forward and I know that you can't really say sell Nick Chubb because like what are you going to get for him in return because he is such a valuable valuable asset but I don't know. Maybe you can think about that. And then everyone can yell at me for even suggesting it when he goes off again this week on pace for 2016 rushing yards and 24 rushing touchdowns. It just becomes this thing where like, you know, Hey, yeah, I, I had Nick Chubb in my fade list relative to where he was being drafted. And yeah, I am holding up that L, you know, make fun of me all you want, everyone. That's fine. I was absolutely wrong on that one. It'd still be cool if they could throw him the ball more than 20 times a season. Like he's not even on pace to catch 20 passes. I saw the one downfield drop last week, but you know, like you don't need to throw him the ball 30 yards downfield like Kareem Hunt. Look what the Titans are doing with Derrick Henry right now. Derrick Henry, leads the NFL in yards per route run. We've all seen the horrendous drops that Derrick Henry has this year. He's by all accounts not a good not a good receiver. But guess what? When you get him in open field, good things happen, and those good things tend to outweigh the boneheaded drop or two that we happen to see, you know, more so on the highlights. So 
That's all. It's Nick Chubb. We all agree he's the best running back in the NFL with the ball in his hands. Fantasy analysts like myself wish the Browns would give it to him more in a fantasy-friendly way, like the pass game. Probably won't happen, but yeah, to your point, Kevin, I think he's more of a hold. It was also good to see Kareem Hunt get back on track in the end zone last week. The PPR RB17 on the season continued to fire. Yeah, I mean, his, his expected workload was almost as good as Chubb's last yeah. week. Again, Chubb, you know, outperformance. He's getting the long plays. Um, that was, it was incredible first touchdown. Like there was barely any, somehow I don't, he's like in a phone booth basically. And he made Derwin James miss like completely miss on that. It was an incredible, incredible play. So who were you more wrong on uh, Nick Chubb or Ramondre Stevenson? Should we go back to <laughs> I'd say Chubb. Cause like, at least with Stevenson, like, you know, we've had a bunch. I know of you're not, you're not taking that L on Stevenson. I'm, I'm going to try to get you to take that L eventually for Stevenson. So we'll, we'll see. see. Keep trying. Keep trying. All right. This week though, home against the Patriots Browns, three point favorites against the evil empire, a 42 and a half point game total. Is Jacoby Brissett versus Bill Belichick? Like again, I'm not saying this Patriots defense this year has been completely locked down uh, throughout the year or anything like that, but it's just the fact that we have Jacoby Brissett facing Bill Belichick. Is that enough for you to just kind of downgrade Amari Cooper and David Njoku? Because again, we really haven't seen Jacoby have this, you know, piss down his leg sort of game yet. If it was going to happen, I wouldn't be that surprised if it's this week. Yeah, it could happen. I mean, at least they're favorites. At least we're talking about not a lot of pressure from the opposing offense. So yeah, I think there's a downgrade there. I think, the Patriots, as we mentioned earlier, they've only dropped back to pass 40 times over the last two weeks. I think they're going to continue to run it a ton, even if they get down early, which will slow down the game and give fewer opportunities and more need to push the ball and to pass. So for all of those reasons, I think outside of Njoku, it's 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 kind of hard to figure out who, who you're confident in. But Amari Cooper is a talented player. Talented players, no matter who the quarterback is, um, I think you have to put them into your lineups. Yes, David Njoku, weekly low-end tight end one at this point. Potential to soar even higher. Guy looks fantastic out there. And last place, your one and four Pittsburgh Steelers. Second worst point differential in the NFL, Kevin. I Actually, I think they might be the worst. I think they have the worst point differential. Only the Washington Commanders uh, are actually close to them at this point. So, not great. Now, Kenny Pickett, so far, he's basically been out there for six quarters. He's had four interceptions, all pretty explainable. You know, heaves at the end of the game or in the half, and then a couple, uh, you know, interceptions tipped off the hands. Okay, no, I'm sorry. The one against the Bills was on him. So, okay, one of the four, definitely on uh, Kenny Pickett. But, hey, he put up 300 yards against the Bills. I don't care how much it was in garbage time and all that. I feel like, Kevin, we've at least seen in these six quarters that Pickett is, in fact, an upgrade over Mitch Trubisky, and I'm more confident in Deontay Johnson and George Pickens moving forward. I don't know if it's going to be this week. They do have the Buccaneers. That's going to be another tough matchup. Worry about how that offensive line is going to be able to hold up. And they got the Dolphins and the Eagles. So I don't know if this is going to be you know, a full real-life turnaround. But in terms of Pickens, in terms of Deontay, man, I am trying to buy low on them if you can. I'm not so sure how I mean, everyone's kind of has these sky-high expectations for George Pickens, but Deontay Johnson, man, no touchdowns this year. I think only 53 and a half receiving yards per game. I have never been more convinced this dude is an elite receiver. You just watch him and I do my shoes report every week. And this dude basically gets a whole paragraph every single time out. He's so close to breaking off a big game. So overall thoughts on the Kenny Pickett experience uh, in these six quarters and how you're kind of adjusting your expectations for the wide receivers accordingly in fantasy land. Yeah, I think he can put, he can play. Um, he can get his guys some numbers. I mean, we've seen the connection with Pickens be pretty good so far this year. Getting his average depth of target up, trusting him in some of those contested situations, I think is good. 
Um, and Claypool is is like dust, right? So he's but he, that's been happening for a while. Uh, I think there's a little bit of a concern with Pickett. I know he's in a bad spot last week as far as the Bills' onslaught offensively, putting him in a huge hole. But you'd, you'd hope if you got 56 dropbacks. I know 327 yards is fine, but 327 yards, no touchdowns with that much type of usage, it's it's a little rough. It's a little rough to feel like what's the upside with this guy um, as far as being able to really spread the ball around to everyone. Because like if Claypool actually does something one week, then we're, then it's getting a little bit more difficult to see Pickens and uh, and Johnson be able to get home. That would be my concern. Over on the running side of things, which really tough matchup for that group because, again, they are home this week against the Buccaneers, but Buccaneers 8.5 point favorites, game total 43 and a half. Juggernaut over front seven. We've seen Tampa Bay just shut down opposing rushing offenses really for the better part of, uh, you know, the whole top Bulls era there. And when you consider the, also the possibility for another negative game script. In an ideal world, this would be great for Najee Harris, but we're not living in an ideal world for Najee Harris fantasy managers these days, Kevin. Man, literally got outsnapped last week by Jalen Warren, 53% to 47%. And on the one hand, yeah, blowout game script. I get it. On the other hand, Najee Harris is seventh on his own team in targets with Kenny Pickett under center at this point. And we even got Mike Tomlin talking about the situation. Mike Tomlin's specific quote. We've been playing Jalen increasingly anyway, and I think that's going to continue. I think he's proven that he's a capable varsity player, and we need players from all parties involved. That has transpired and will continue to transpire. Love Tomlin calling him, you know, a varsity player out there. But really the problem with Najee Harris, this offense isn't good. We're happy about pick about Pickett, you know, showing some signs of m- maybe being a dude here down the stretch. But Najee, the volume that we drafted him for, it's not there. And we already knew this last week. You know, we dropped him very low into the RB2 uh, end, end, end of things. But five straight games now that Harris didn't play more than 80% of the offensive snaps, he eclipsed that mark in 11 of 17 games last season. So it's not that running backs need to be playing 80 90% of snaps. But when they're playing as bad as Najee Harris is, and when they're as bad as an offense as he is, you know, just scoring upside-wise, you got to be better, man. And – as the sample size grows, Kevin, why is Jalen Warren better than Najee in every single per touch, uh, you know, metric we can look at here carrying the football? I know Najee's been hurt, and that's not ideal. Jalen Warren's been the better rusher. Tomlin's been increasing his snaps. He says he's going to keep increasing the snaps. I mean, I have Najee Harris this week as my RB23. If there weren't buys, he'd be an RB3. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, how do you expect Najee Harris, you know, undrafted free agent Najee Harris to beat out first round pick Jalen Warren, right? Course, like it's course. kind of an, it's an, it's an unfair competition. Like, mean, do we need any more evidence to stop wasting uh, draft picks on these guys? <laughs> but I mean, they can't block, right? So that's a hard thing. And I still think this whole, you know, the Liz Frank foot situation, I don't, I mean, who knows? Who knows? He wasn't exactly, you know, exploding off of the screen as a rookie, but uh, things are looking very, very rough there. So yeah, probably the worst, you know, first round guy who was going in the first round up until, you know, maybe a month before the the, the big time season seasonal draft started. He moved, he started to move down into the into the second round. But man, a lot of first round, late first round picks were spent on Najee Harris. Um, I drafted him. It's got fishbowl, and I was not expecting this. I was Mr. Let's let's bet on volume type of thing. And that's been completely blown up in my face. 
this year in regards to Jalen Warren, uh, in my weekly running back article, I do have different tiers of handcuffs. And right now I have 12 tier one handcuffs. who I believe would be workhorses and immediately be in the RB one conversation. If the starter goes down Buccaneers, rookie Rashad white, uh, Khalil Herbert with the bears, Kareem hunt with the Browns, Pollard with the Cowboys, Dylan with the Packers, ETN Jaguars, Henderson Rams, Madison Vikings, Stevenson with the Patriots. As we are seeing Michael Carter with the jets, Kenneth Walker with the Seahawks and Jalen Warren with the Steelers. So again, when we sit here, you know, on the waiver wire show and we tell you guys go get Rashad White go get Jalen Warren don't get Tyler Algier don't get these you know Mike Boone type players who they've had the injury people are overpaying them for a big role that isn't even on the plate take the guys that haven't had the big injury occur yet and are one injury away not from their regular handcuff role but from legit seldom leaving the field I do really think that's what we have in Jalen Warren he's still someone that's only rostered I believe in under 10% of ESPN leagues you know yeah you're going to see that every weekly projection you know 2.5 points or something you're not using him until you want to use him and then everyone's going to want the guy so get him on your roster before then yeah, I, you know, again, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. This, who would you take for the rest of the season, uh, Kevin? Do you think this is actually is the Pickens takeover? The guy looks great out there. I mean, just the hand, the hands catch that he had last week in that contested catch situation. I mean, if there is, if there has been a most impressive receiver of the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's definitely been Pickens. Albeit Deontay is still the target leader, uh, even while Kenny Pickett has been under center. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm still going with Deontay. I'm going to take yeah. the, the the historical, the history, the proven performance a little bit more. But you, I mean, the gap is narrowed. The gap yeah. is definitely narrowed significantly. Saying a lot for him. All right, everyone, before we go ahead and move on to the AFC South, I want to give a quick shout out to some of our lovely sponsors out there, starting off with No House Advantage. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today, playing pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning 250K plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20 times your entry if you hit all your picks better up to five player prop over unders or individual player matchups across every major sports league including nfl nba mlb pga mma and nascar sign up now with promo code fantasy pff at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to 25 dollars. make sure you check out no house advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play but also where you play you won't want to miss out on this also gotta love our friends over at underdog fantasy even though best ball mania has ended underdog fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick'em game just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in the week in the week's game and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps pick between two and five players for your pick'em entry get all your picks right and you'll take home some cold hard cash it's simple to get started just head on over to underdogfantasy.com or download the app and sign up with promo code PFF and underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's underdog fantasy promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. I love how DraftKings has their Kevin Hart uh, commercial and DraftKings is one of our sponsors too. I love you guys, but he's, he talks about, you know, being like the overdog and he's, I think he says underdog, like underdog's getting some free publicity from Kevin Hart out there almost every single time. Uh, there he you goes go. Out there there you go. Wait, hey, hold up. Wait, wait a second. Breaking news. Breaking oh news. God, stop. Breaking it. news. Okay. Um, so Mike McDaniel um, says that Tyreek Hill and the rest of the Dolphins team captains have decided to take the ping pong table out of the locker room in oh, an effort no. to focus more intently on their upcoming opponent. Do we need to do we need to talk about this? Do we need to redo the Dolphins section? 
This is bad, man. I can't remember the ping pong table going. It's always coming. I mean, this is a, a pl- <laughs> yeah, no, this is this. I mean, well, something to keep a radar. We'll, we'll, we'll put this on our radar here. We'll we'll have to have with and without ping pong table metrics, I believe, for the rest of the season, just to see how things are going uh, going forward. But something something everyone should look at should look at going forward. Are you kidding, <laughs> dude? This team beats the Bills like Tua looks like a world beater. They go, they're three and zero, oh, and their two quarterbacks get concussed, and they look at the ping pong. Mike McDaniel stood up in front of that team and said, "Hey guys, no, this was leadership was by Tyreek Hill That's and the rest of the insane. captains. The rest of the captains. They sometimes, you know, the captains got to step in and." Ping pong tables out. I mean, if they, as long as they're not playing pickleball, that's all I have to say. I mean, I'm sure it's huge in Florida. Pickleball has got to be huge in Florida since the average age of the pickle pickler pickler. I heard they're called picklers. Picklers average about uh, six sixty eight ish. I would say is is like on the young side for picklers. So as long as they're not doing that, I, I'm 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 okay. Could you imagine how much we would drag anybody, media, coach, whoever, if they came out and said the Dolphins need to get rid of the ping pong table to help fix things? This was a player move. Oh, my goodness. It's, wow. Hey, they're, they're taking control. Leadership. Taking okay? control. Comes in many right. forms. Your first place, Titans, 3-2 and two in the AFC South, are in a bye week, so we'll talk about them next week. Second place, your 2-2-1 two, two and one Indianapolis Colts facing off against the Jaguars this week in Indy. Colts sitting as two-and-a-half-point favorites, game total at a lowly 42. So I got some, I got some good stats here to show you all you just how bad Matt Ryan has been. And lest we forget, Reggie Wayne was throwing up all offseason because of how much Matt Ryan reminded, reminded him of Peyton Manning. Colts brass could not stop throwing Carson Wentz under the bus seemingly every single day throughout this offseason. You know, Matt Ryan was going to unlock Paris Campbell, all these things. Okay, he leads the league with 18 combined interceptions and fumbles. Carson Wentz is in second with 12. Now, again, we played five weeks. 18 combined interceptions and fumbles. Last year, in 17 starts, Carson Wentz had 15 combined interceptions and fumbles. This year, only the Baker Mayfield-led Panthers have a worse EPA per play than the Colts. Matt Ryan has taken a league-high 21 sacks. I decided to take sacks plus interceptions plus fumbles. Guess who leads the league, Kevin? Matt Ryan with 39. Carson Wentz and Matthew Stafford, the only other guys over even 30. This offense has been terrible. Matt Ryan... Sure looks like the reason why. I mean, it's like that SpongeBob meme where, like, they're trying to find a problem with the Colts offense, and it's like SpongeBob looking at the most wanted poster, and it's actually SpongeBob. Like, Matt Ryan sure seems to be the problem here, Kevin. It's not going to get any better unless they're going to bring Swag Kelly out of retirement. Like, I don't see a fix anytime soon here other than hopefully – Jonathan Taylor's healthy. You give him the ball 35 times a game, and hopefully he does Jonathan Taylor things. But do you see anything getting right in this passing game? Because right now it's even dragging Michael Pittman down. Yeah, yeah, it, it's bad. If if I had like the ability to just buzz a team and we could just skip them, this may be. <laughs> I mean, we're going to be talking about Alec Pierce. Like Alec Pierce, can, can he can he be can he be a thing? And you know, I'm going to give myself. This is part of my uh, self congratulation part of the of the of the broadcast. I'm going to give myself some credit because I was doing an off season narratives. Like what are we buying? What are we selling? One of my narratives that I was selling was I have a couple of uh, headlines here. One of them is this is my favorite one. Matt Ryan has Colts gushing. And then, the, and then there's a little bit of a quote. It says there's definitely an it factor. <laughs> what does that even mean? Like what does that even mean? Oh my God. This is, this is, this is bad. This is like very, very bad. Jonathan Taylor is like, he was supposed to be like Nick Chubb. Like you could not regress this guy. He's been regressed. They regressed him. Our yeah. poor, our, our poor boy, Jonathan Taylor has been regressed. I can't take it. 
What have they done to my boy? Uh, hopefully he is back from that ankle injury. Naeem Hines in the concussion protocol. If not, we're going to see Deion Jackson and Philip Lindsay probably splitting things pretty evenly down the middle. If you're desperate, you need buys. Okay. I think I ranked Deion like assuming Taylor and Hines are out. I think I ranked him like RB 35, 36, which with four teams on buy like that is low. So they are not recommended starts by any stretch, but I know it. I'm in some of those leagues. You just need some guys out there getting some touches, you know, take a look at Deion Jackson and Philip Lindsay, but we did get reports that Jonathan Taylor is tentatively expecting to suit up. He was coming off the short week last week. I do think Taylor will be back. Go back to Boa Pittman and Alec Pierce, 60 plus yards in three straight games. You know, Nathan Yonke and I talked about it again. The big good news for Alec Pierce is that Ashton Doolin is on IR, so he's completely out of the picture. So we should see more of a full time role for Alec Pierce. God forbid, God forbid Matt Ryan gets his shit together just a little bit. Maybe this passing game can start doing anything. But yeah, too many words on that team already. Let's move on I mean, to your two and three Jaguars. Yeah. Back-to-back games where uh, Trevor Lawrence has not looked good at all. I believe you know specifically, Kevin, he has had a negative EPA per play in back-to-back weeks or just uh, overall. So what version are we getting at this point? Because he looked great in weeks two and three. Weeks one, four, and five, not so much. And when you put it all together, he's been anyone's idea of a pretty bad quarterback, regardless of what stat you want to look at. Jaguars have dropped the league-high 14 passes, but man, Kevin... This does not look like the quarterback that has been lauded as, you know, the best prospect since Andrew Luck. What are your kind of career expectations for Trevor Lawrence at this point? Um, I, I, they've changed, maybe got a little bit more positive than they were at the beginning of the season. I think what you were looking for him is that, yeah, sure, there's still that upside. I mean, the physical traits, his ability is there, but continues to sail passes. That's a big one. Continues to make bad. And we talk about the Jacoby Brissett mistake. Like his interception last week where he threw it to Derek Stinley might have been the boniest bonehead play of them all because it was first down, I believe. Yeah. It was first in like first in goal from the seven or something like that or or something. It was just it was, you know, inexplicable that you would do that. And this was supposed to be his get right game. So the problem is we had the let's write it off game in the in the weather against a strong Eagles defense. And then we had the get right game, which never came. And the problem here maybe not even for Lawrence specifically when we're talking about from a fantasy angle, but uh, Christian Kirk. Now can we rely on him? Because this is the first week where he really fell off a cliff. Um, As far as his production, he had been the reliable guy so far this season. And now he dropped all the way down to wide receiver 100 after starting off in PPR rank seven, 14, 47, 100. I call that a bad trend. (laughs) I'm looking at stonks, you know, that stonks. it's (laughs) going, it's going like this, uh, this one. It's not good. I've look, I've Kirk this week, wide receiver 23. I thought he was going to be a potential weekly wide receiver one after that start in the season, the way they were using him underneath, but he really doesn't have a cash game guy last week, as far as his pride, like you thought, okay, but God, that that's, it's yeah, it's confidence shaking for sure. What we saw. And he could maybe get right this week against the Colts. We did see him score two touchdowns when they played back in week three. The Colts oddly used uh, Stephon Gilmore to shadow Marvin Jones. So, you know, if you're just going to waste your best cornerback on Marvin Jones, and yeah, it makes sense that Christian Kirk and Zay Jones are going to have more opportunities. And a big part of that is just Kirk and Zay to a lesser extent, working more out of the slot where Gilmore, just like most shadow cornerbacks, usually don't make too much of a habit of uh, following inside. So, 
Hopefully, we just get a bigger sample on Trevor Lawrence and he starts playing better because right now, uh, Kevin is correct. We can't be overly confident in any of these pass catchers. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram. If it's a close start, sick question with them and someone else, probably going to take the other guy that's in an offense that's ideally moving the ball better in Jacksonville at the moment. Let's talk a little bit about this backfield, though, because we had a lot of a lot of James Robinson victory laps after uh, week two or three, even after week one, Kevin, honestly, with uh, what he's been doing. And I think we just struggle sometimes to separate What's happening with our eyes? What's happening with the stats on the field? And then what a good story is. Because, yeah, James Robinson coming back from this Achilles is fantastic. And I don't think he's a terrible running back by any stretch. But Travis Etienne's objectively been better this year. And that's in terms of PFF grade. Yards per carry is 4.9 versus 4.1. Etienne, more yards after contact per carry. More missed tackles forced per carry. The yards per out run isn't even close. The yards per reception, Etienne is almost doubling what James Robinson is bringing to the table. So we can talk about pass blocking. We can talk about Etienne being used as more of a slasher, and that's inflating his stats. But... Hey, man, put the eyes on. ETN, I, I forget who tweeted us out, but ETN looks like a Mario Kart, you know, just racer out there. That dude is fast as hell. He's making big plays. He had over 100 yards last week. And James Robinson, I hate doing this, but I'm going to do it. If you take away the two wide-open touchdown runs he had this year, Kevin, which I just – I, I do think that pretty much any running back in the league would have scored on those. James Robinson is averaging under three yards per carry. So my argument is not that James Robinson is bad. My argument is that he's way closer to ETN than most people are giving credit for. And I would honestly take Travis ETN the rest of the season, given the way the snaps are moving and not just the way the snaps are moving, the snaps are moving the way they are because the Jaguars have played far worse in weeks four and five. And ETN is the guy when they're playing from behind. And with that in mind, it's like, all right, do we want to bet James Robinson versus ETN is basically betting on, do you think the Jaguars are going to be really good this year or really bad? And I tend to lean towards the latter. Yeah, I don't know if that's if it even has to be that division. I I mean, I agree with you. I think if you are going to do some film based studies when it comes to running back, you just watch it. And how often you're like, "Ooh, that guy's fast!" Like I said, that that's film based <laughs> study for me. Not setting up the blocks, not you know all this dissection of whether or not he can he's catching is actually good or not, even though he caught a ton of passes in college. Again, it's one of those things of like now we're going to hear how he, if he if he does well receiving, we're going to hear that he's like improved his his receiving ability in order to justify that that earlier take yeah i mean he's more explosive he's a more explosive guy he's a more explosive back and this is one of the rare cases i think where everyone in fantasy football land was telling you to sell james robinson at least they should have been uh a few weeks ago and it looks like that's going to end up being right because it's not as if they were playing terribly from behind this game and etn dominated I'm sorry, I can't help but laugh. Uh, there's a tweet that came out from Riddle World where Pete Carroll said that Drew Locke is quote unquote nipping at Gino's heels. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, they see, this is what's weird with all this Gino thing. Like, if Drew Locke, again, if he didn't get COVID if, before that preseason game, it could be Drew Locke playing, you know? So we'll <laughs> see. Yeah, Gino, Gino getting benched eventually. Is a is a possibility. Is a strong. I mean, it, it it could actually happen. I'm not joking. The thing about it, say, uh, well, we'll, we'll, actually, we'll get to Gino when we go to Gino. I, I have my Gino takes. Look, man, it's you know the 49ers have Montana and Young. The Seahawks have uh, Gino and Drew Locke. So that's just uh, that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Yes, though, with these uh, running backs again this week, it is a matchup. The only two and a half point dogs. I'm not saying you can't start James Robinson by any stretch. And I do have James Robinson RB25 and ETN RB28. So I'm still giving Robinson the slight benefit of the doubt, but. But, you know, it's I remember I go on a it's just football or daily PFF show every single Friday in week four. Like I just kind of had James Robinson as 
like a sit to an extent because they were playing the Eagles in a game where they're probably going to be behind. James Robinson is not the every down workhorse that we saw in past years. This is a two running back committee, which is fine. We can live with two running back committees. Just don't completely write off ETN yeah. either. And Robinson is not an explosive playmaker. I know you, you mentioned the two long touchdowns. I think the stat that I provided after the, that happened with those two touchdowns was that he only had two plays of over 30 yards his entire rookie season where he carried the ball, you know, 250 times. So he's it's just not going to happen. ETN is going to be more of an explosive playmaker. And I believe in that offense, if you're struggling to put together drives, what you need is you need some explosive plays to get points on the board. One, three, and one Texans on a bye after that lovely victory last week. Damian Pierce, go ice those knees, my friend. Moving us on to the AFC West. Four and one Kansas City Chiefs. Look at Patrick Mahomes' numbers this year, and they're awesome. They're always awesome, but they are a little bit closer to 2021 than what we saw in 2018 and 2020. Have you seen enough from this non-Tyreek Hill offense, Kevin, to make you think that Mahomes can lead these Chiefs out of just, you know, a juggernaut-filled AFC? Because, yeah, it is always Patrick Mahomes versus, you know, anyone, and, of course, it's uh, very fair to say Mahomes. But I guess, like, is this the best version of the Chiefs' offense we're going to get, or do you think it could be a situation? Like, okay, in Green Bay, I think we're all kind of under the assumption, like, all right, they're going to start figuring things out more. We're going to see Dobbs start taking over more, Lazard getting on more on the same page and all that. Like, do you think this is kind of the top, this is the Chiefs offense right now, or do you still think there's hope for guys like Juju, like MBS, and like Miko Hardman to start becoming bigger parts of the passing game? Yeah, I just think this is the offense, and that's fine. I mean, it's an efficient offense. They're doing well. He's the second most efficient quarterback in the NFL. Uh, next to Josh Allen so far this year. And the way he's done it, in some ways you can point to larger degrees of sustainability, right? We talked about the Josh Allen pressure play before. Mahomes is good under pressure, but he hasn't been otherworldly under pressure. Uh, he's been good on third down, generating a lot of plays there, but he hasn't been otherworldly, but he's always good on third down. I think it's just really impressive, man. If you watch some of the plays he's able to make, um, the base that he's able to throw off of and just sling the ball with accuracy to these guys, the way that he has changed the game as far as being an underneath passer and exploiting what they're doing there. I mean, when you can have that strong of an offense without producing big plays down the field, which we just have not seen really at all, um, there have been some missed opportunities, but um, if he can make some of those opportunities, because I don't think MVS and McCall Hardman are guys who can get down the field also, um, that could be added to the game. It's just really, really impressive year from him. And I think he's really just solidified himself, you know, along with Josh Allen. But I think he's still a notch above Allen is saying this guy can just do it. He's going to get it done no matter who, as long as you put confident guys around him out there. Again, this week, game of the week. Sunday afternoon against the Bills. Bills, two-and-a-half-point favorites in Arrowhead. Game total sitting at a high 54. So last week, you know, the Clyde Edwards-Alaire conversation always here. I tend to think that it's hard to sell high on the guy, and it's one of those situations where, no, I don't think he's going to – I never thought he was going to continue being a top-five running back, and he hasn't. He's already slipped down more so to the RB1 borderline, but his expected points still say we have a lower-end RB2 here. The Isaiah Pacheco thing, you know, it's funny. Every broadcast starts, and the announcers just start gushing over all the things Pacheco has brought and how much the Chiefs love him. And you, you look up at the end of the game, unless there was a blowout, you know, the guy's only getting a carry or two either way. Jarek McKinnon, though, is the one that is really a potential problem. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, it was McKinnon, you know, just getting stopped short at the goal line, and then Clyde was the one banging it in. Last week, Clyde got stopped at the goal line on two separate receptions, and of course, you know, I'm sure you all can guess who scored a touchdown after that happened with uh, Travis Kelsey finding four trips uh, into the end zone in that one game, but do you think, Kevin, I mentioned my handcuff tiers, and I certainly don't have the Chiefs, you know, in tier one. I think I have them tier three with a projected three running back committee, but 
if something happened to Claude Ebersolaire, who has not stayed healthy for an entire NFL season uh, to this point, I know Jared McKinnon would be the recommended ad, but like how high is the ceiling for McKinnon? Because I feel like at this point, McKinnon has a better chance of kind of getting that every down roll than Clyde, I'd even argue. You look at every single high leverage situation out there, McKinnon tends to be on the field more times than not. Like, <laughs> is Jared, I think Jared McKinnon this year has played more overall snaps than CEH. Is this a situation where when the playoffs come around, we could actually see them go back to Jared? Wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, I think we could. I think for this backfield and when it comes to the Chiefs, it's always been this weird thing. Like you have to this disconnect between like a really great offense and what that means for the running backs within that offense. I mean, look at this last game as a perfect example where, you know, CH was getting some of those higher value touches. He was getting in the end zone. He was very close to getting to the end zone in this game. But you can have games with the Chiefs offense where you have four touchdown passes that all came within the 10 yard line, right? Like they, they can do that and they'll throw a lot more near the goal line than your average team. And Patrick Mahomes, again, if you're an alien who can have guys all around you and throw it off a weird base and throw it downfield, as opposed to checking down to a running back, then you're going to do that. I think from a real world perspective, it's probably more troubling for Edwards Hilaire, what we're seeing than anything else. When you look at two minute situations, Third down, um, it, the high leverage type of situations that we're talking about for a team, like the most important downs, goal line for a team, Jerick McKinnon was playing all of those snaps. So it doesn't necessarily translate into fantasy points for McKinnon either, but I think it's a little bit troubling if your lead back, your first round draft pick back, every single time you're in a really clutch, important down, you're like, let's get him off the field and let's get Jerick McKinnon in the field. On the I field. Do- I do stand slightly corrected. CH 145 total snaps on the season. McKinnon's at 134. They both run exactly 84 uh, routes, though, and McKinnon has been the primary pass uh, passing down back. So, hey, man, 430 slate, afternoon only. I would not be afraid going against the grain there, getting McKinnon. Maybe the Chiefs actually have some comeback mode snaps, which is very rare, obviously, for that offense to ever be behind on the scoreboard in the first place. If they do, I do think it will probably be McKinnon out there more than Clyde. Number two, team in this ever loaded AFC West. There's three and two Los Angeles chargers again, an offense that it's pretty tough to ever be, uh, you know, too critical of Kevin, but what do you think we could see when Keenan Allen comes back into the picture? Because so far we've seen Mike Williams, not really being a boomer bus wide receiver. He's been a boom, 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 bus, bus receiver, more booms than bus. Austin Eckler continuing to make the most out of all of his touches, despite not having exactly the stranglehold on the goal line role we were looking for. Is there a chance that Keenan Allen comes back and does Keenan things, you know, gets his 10 targets per game and low key, we see both Mike Williams and Austin Eckler start to, you know, not become unusable fantasy assets, but to your previous point, regress back to something that's a little bit less insane than numbers they've been putting up because as much as the offense will be better with Keenan, we've already seen games this year where Herbert's been more than willing to spread the ball out to everybody involved, Gerald Everett as well, Josh Palmer as well. Could this be a decent time to sell high on Austin Eckler and Mike Williams? Or, hey, we got two full-time guys in Chargers offense. Quit overthinking it. Yeah, I mean, it probably is overthinking a bit when it comes to Eckler, at least, just because you don't have the high-end running back play. I mean, Eckler went from one of these guys where you thought, oh, man, this usage is not so great. 
Um, you know, are we worried about him week one, week two? You look up now and he's, you know, the second best running back in fantasy football after scoring a lot of longer touchdowns, which are probably unsustainable. But the underlying usage and the fact that they're passing to him so much has been really, really good. So I think that's probably too much a galaxy brain thing to think you're going to for him. For Williams, I might be OK there. I still think that the Chargers offense has been good, but not great so far this year and maybe you know everything turns around herbert gets things going going forward but there's not going to be enough at least the way that they're playing now to go around um to everyone where herbert's gonna you know he's not necessarily gonna be putting up three touchdowns every single week he has you know one touchdown in multiple weeks he had two touchdowns another week because of that it's not quite as much to go around as we've seen in the past i will say if keenan allen is back this week when he's been out Every single week, start Mike Williams, absolutely, no matter what. If he's back, I'm going to be dropping Mike just more of a mid-low-end wide receiver, too. If you are really loaded, though, and you actually can give me a rare start-sit question where it's close, I would be a little bit cautious about Big Mike. You know, Maybe if you're playing your showdown slates. And if you are, make sure you check out Kevin's weekly showdown articles, always available on pff.com. But I am expecting Mike Williams to be facing shadow coverage from Patrick Sertan, who is PFF's second-highest graded cornerback in covers this season. Yeah, Devontae Adams got 100 yards on him. It did take him 13 targets. He did hold DK Metcalf to 36 scoreless yards back in week one. So, again, if Keenan Allen's back, I would would be a little more cautious on Mike Williams, but more likely than not, he's going to continue to be started with or without Keenan. This will be the Monday night game this week. So it is in Los Angeles against the Broncos chargers favored by five and a half points game total of 45 and a half. We're going to finish off this AFC preview with the last place, two and three Broncos. Oh boy. Again, the loss on Thursday night, I think uh, we end up, you know, yeah, everyone got their jokes in on Russ and deservingly so, and it kind of overshadowed just how bad Matt Ryan uh, really was in that game as well. But how much blame are you putting on the shoulder injury, Kevin? It does seem awfully convenient that we find out about it as soon as, you know, Russ comes off uh, such, you know, a disaster in prime time. But hey, this is a situation where this year, I mean, you look at where at PFF behind the scenes tools, we're able to look at how quarterbacks do the different depths of the field, one to nine yards downfield. He's 20th in adjusted completion rate, 10 through 19. He's 22nd. He is 20th or worse throwing to every single depth of the field. He has not been accurate. Is this something where he's got a hurt shoulder? He's 34 in November. What do you think, Kevin? Are we actually going to see Russ get back to being Russ, or is this something that maybe we should have put a little more blame on him than the Seattle environment in these last few years? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a combination. I mean, he can't get worse. He probably has to get better. Um, But we have seen, you know, with this whole evolution of defense and the too high, Russ has been one of the more susceptible quarterbacks to that. So his ability now to pivot and to get out and to use more quick game, use other sorts of options that someone like Patrick Mahomes is turning to, you know, it's probably not there. It's probably not there as much. And that's the problem. And I also think that we saw him coming to Denver and we said, oh, you know, Albert O is going to, he's going to have him at tight end. He's going to have Sutton. He's going to have Judy. He's going to have Hamler. He's going to have Patrick maybe it's better to have Metcalf and Tyler Lockett still, right? Than all of those different guys together. And he's really been so laser focused on, on Sutton where it's been good for Sutton fantasy wise, but it also leads to plays on the end zone where you have KJ Hamler completely wide open. And then you're still locking in on, on Cortland Sutton. So it's rough. It's rough. And from a fantasy perspective, it looks like Gordon and Boone, 
we're both okay, so but are never going to have ceiling with the way. And I think this is just going to continue in that sort of way going forward. I don't think anyone's going to take over there. So other than Cortland Sutton, I, I don't know what we're doing fantasy-wise with this team. I will say, Judy, he almost had that touchdown like the first drive where Russ actually made a great throw. Linebacker has back turned. Looked like it should have actually been DPI. Judy can only get one uh, arm up, but, you know, it wasn't. And then Russ, like, probably his two best throws of the game, honestly, was an incompletion to Judy. And then he hit Andrew back in the end zone for what should have been a touchdown. He drops it. Next play, Judy was wide open for a 27-yard score. Russ sailed it. But to your point, it certainly has been the Cortland Sutton show. And he really is the only person in the offense you can feel at all good about starting. I couldn't agree more about the backfield usage. Last week, Melvin Gordon, 55% snaps, 15 carries, three targets. Zero fumbles, barely got close on us there on one of them. But Mike Boone, 42% snaps, seven carries, and three targets. And Benjamin Albright, you know, who is basically as tuned in the Broncos as anybody, he got asked about any insight into the Melvin Gordon Mike Boone timeshare. And it's not the most, you know, assured answer, but he did say, I think a lot of it is going to be coaches' feel and don't count out Latavius Murray, which has been a common kind of sentiment among uh, Broncos uh, faithful. And I believe um, Cecil. Uh, it wasn't a report, but he was even saying like if Javante didn't get hurt, the way things were going with Melvin Gordon, he wouldn't have been shocked if uh, Melvin Gordon could have even been cut. So it was a better game from Melvin uh, last week. I believe he did get over the 100-yard mark, and he showed a little bit more juice um, out there. He forced five missed tackles on the ground, 3.1 yards after contact. So maybe he wins out, but man, we look at everything that's happened with Nathaniel Hackett going back to the Green Bay days and then what we've seen in Denver. And this is my point last week. Javante Williams, Javante freaking Williams couldn't get a three down roll in this offense. I have a hard time believing they're going to give that to anyone else involved now that he is also out of the picture. So until we see Latavius, you know, really pound his way into this group, I'm fine treating Melvin as a lower end RB2, especially uh, with the bye weeks, you know, very much here. But I would not be expecting him to be someone that, you know, is a must start anytime soon. I think that about covers it, Kevin. Nice little AFC preview here. We'll be right back with the NFC. Uh, let the folks know we got PFF.com this week. Yeah, you know, the normal showdown pieces, quarterback rankings, uh, unexpected points, podcasts, all that stuff. All, all, all the normal the normal stuff is all, is all in the rotation. All you can ask for, continuing just to grind through each and every week, week six. We still got, you know, 12 more or so, but always a great day. It'd be great. Five weeks. Five weeks. God bless him. God bless him. I got all my positional previews. As always, Chiefs report, injury report, mismatch manifesto. Catch all that on pff.com. So appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, for Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.